Welcome back to another episode of The Authors Unite Show. Here's your host, Tyler Wagner. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Authors Unite Show. Uh, today, we got Mary Bojest, and she's a writer and artist and the author of the award-winning book, Come On America, The Inspirational Life Journey of Former United States Ambassador Dave Phillips. And we actually, this is a special interview, we have Dave Phillips with us, too. So we have both of them here together. Welcome you both to the show. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Tyler. It's great to be here. Of course. Grateful to have you on. So... You know, really, first question that I like to ask is how did this how did this book like come to be? How did you two meet, and then how did you both decide like let's make a book out of this? Do you want me to take that, Dave? <laughs> Mary, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I had Dave has a, a lives here in High Point, North Carolina, the uh, international home of uh, of home furnishings uh, and. Uh, Anyway, he's very well known in this area. And when I attended, when the Chamber of Commerce gave him a reception when he was going to Estonia uh, for, to be a, an ambassador there. And by the way, he walked right into the first international cyber war uh, when he went over to Estonia. And, uh, that was really something else. But anyway, so uh, that's when I first kind of met him. And he doesn't remember that, though. But I, of course, I do. But there were so many people. And he was, he was excited to go over to Estonia. And uh, I was excited to meet Dave Phillips. And uh, he had been met so much to our state in North Carolina, being the former uh, Secretary of Commerce. And he had been... Uh, on the department of, uh, member of the Department of uh, Transportation and had done so much for our community as well. So I had been very much aware of Dave Phillips. And then when he got back uh, from Estonia, um, we would, I would see him occasionally. And I must preface this, I, I'm sorry to backtrack, but uh, I do write a weekly newspaper column uh, and to put it shortly, uh, it's about what's going on and who's doing it. And obviously, uh, Dave Phillips is doing was doing a lot of things, and and uh, so he would pop up in my column, and my column is uh, encompasses an entire page in our newspaper. And uh, so I happened to go to a lot of events and a lot of events that Dave and his wife Kay also attend. So uh, we were at a museum opening one night and uh, I was talking to Dave and uh, he, we decided that uh, we would have a meeting. I'd go up to his office over there at Market Square and we'd talk about, uh, about the Market Square uh, it is a historic building, and uh, and I thought that would be very interesting because it's one of the main buildings of our international home furnishing market. And I must say that eighty thousand people come to High Point from around the world twice a year to buy furniture for their stores. It's just for the trade. It's not for 
you know, not for people who are not like owners of stores or designers. So we really are the furniture capital of the world. Mm -hmm. And so I went up to his office and uh, beautiful office, by the way. Uh, and I was sitting there and I saw in his, his bookcase, there were all these pictures of leaders from around the world. There were photos, there were memorabilia, there were souvenirs. Today, there was this book, there were books. And I'm just like thinking, oh my gosh, what a history. And I was there just to talk about the history of the building that he historically preserved. It had been, a, a, it had been an old factory for furniture making, manufacturing. So I had kind of been playing around with writing a book. And so when he came in and we were talking and I just kind of came out of my mouth uh, I thought, well, uh, would you have you ever considered having a book written about you? And um, he didn't say yes right away. And then eventually he did agree and he said, only if it will help other people. And so then we started. And uh, so I guess that's the the my end of it so dave do you have something to add to that on how we got started on this book and what you thought about it when i asked you that that is exactly correct uh, <laughs> and so it, it just and i had to think about it i mean it just uh, came out of the blue and i spent several weeks thinking and i said well it's got to be at my office at a desk up there for the two of us and it can't be by phone or email or anything else. And I tried to be as candid as possible, but Mary living in High Point doing these calls about people every week, and she knows every piece of gossip in High Point. So <laughs> I, I said, it's really starting to make me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I know all the gossip, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> No, I got it. no. That's really awesome. I think it's it's really cool to hear how how it all came together. So I, I guess you know, first question, and it, and it's it's cool to hear both perspectives uh, too. Is you, you you spoke of the cyber war. So what what exactly was for people that don't know? Can you explain like what that was, and then also uh, you know what the experience was like? So I think you know, starting with you, Dave. Obviously, you, you went through it, um, and then Mary. I guess, you know, you could probably hop in there too because you wrote about it. So like, I'd love to hear more about that. Well, when I was confirmed by the Senate uh, as an ambassador, it took three months to go through that process. And a month, within a month, we were in Estonia. And the night that my wife and I, uh, and a dog and a cat <laughs> arrived in Estonia, that uh, we were, uh, we were, Told that we could not go downtown. There's a lot of uh, a lot of demonstrations taking place in the town, and so we went to our home and, and got settled in. The next day, uh, the Russians attacked Estonia via cyber warfare and just shut it down. And the reason Estonia is so noted, it's a, it's a very uh, high tech country. It's where Skype was created. Everything's on the internet. You would pay your parking ticket on the internet. It is incredible 
oasis of, of, of high tech. So we walk right into it and, and, and soon uh, NATO came to the defense of Estonia and now and soon thereafter NATO uh, built their the NATO Cyber Warfare Center in Estonia. So it's, it's become a very important piece in our uh, technology for North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Got it. Very interesting. So now, is this something, so you weren't even allowed to go down there, so it got really violent. And just to make sure I'm fully understanding, with cyber war, you're saying like they, they basically like shut down all the technology. Is that basically what happens? That's basically what happened. Okay, got it. And then that, you know, man, I can't even imagine if that happened in America today, people would go nuts. <laughs> yeah, all, the, all the banks were shut down. Everything stopped. Okay, so it's actually... It really, because Estonia, that I mean, they were a paperless society at that point. I mean, they were ahead of the curve. They were ahead of the curve at that time. And what was the ironic part of Dave Phillips going to Estonia to such a high-tech uh, country is that Dave Phillips does not use a computer. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and, to, and so what, and you, <laughs> Dave had to find a, a stenographer. Well, we had lots of talent at the embassy and uh, we were, we were well defended. And that, uh, so these professionals of the State Department handled it beautifully. Now, how, how does like Russia, how, how does a country like do that? How, how would somebody block out somebody else's internet? Or like- well, I don't know the technical jargon, but there's uh, botnets and there are all kinds of degrees of how you just unplug a country. And it's- wow. And wired, and it's, uh, uh, I mean, it's just pure jealousy of, of this little country that is so highly regard, regarded. And for, it's like a bully in a, in a sandbox. And that's what they were doing. They're so irritated. And that about one third of Estonia are ex Russians that came there during the occupation of Estonia. And they didn't want to go back to Russia. And they stayed there and they fought for Estonia, fought meaning. This is the, their, their country now, and that uh, they participate and love the country and the freedom, and it just shows you the will of people. Got it. Okay. So I also know um, that you had uh, three companies that were sold on the New York Stock Exchange. So, and I believe you know, kind of that's what is is in the book is like you know how to be an effective leader and a successful businessman. So. My question for you is, tell us more about the experiences of these three companies and how you were able to get them to that level of like having them be sold on the New York Stock Exchange. It's, it's people and other people uh, ran these companies. I started them and I financed them and uh, found the right people at the right places to come run these different businesses. And they did, and that it's 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 my philosophy. It's 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 getting the right people. That's the key for any type of business, and they appreciate the right opportunity. And so we 
went into three different type businesses, uh, one that I was accustomed to, and it's, it became uh, better because outside people came in and ran the businesses. And we, we just went out and found the right people. Got it, okay. And what- Oh, I was just gonna mention that Dave, uh, in fact, he, he learned to, to establish these relationships from his father, but Dave was also uh, one of the first to hire a woman manager. Can you expound a little bit more on that? That is true. I mean, that's that was that was the you were a leader in that. I, it was first one is there were some people were just dumbfounded that I did that. There's a lady in our knitting mill up in the mountains of North Carolina, and she was fabulous. She was a basketball coach to high school, and she wanted to participate and, and make a salary. And uh, we hired her, and it became very obvious that she was the leader. And other people were led by her and loved her. And she made this little knit mill a very nice knit mill, much larger. Got it. Wow. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's huge. So I guess really my next question for it is like, how, so you ha had the right people, but like, is there, like, what's that pivotal switch to like getting it? to be sold because I feel like that's just so astronomical more than a, a lot of like small businesses even ever imagined to get to. So like how, how do you even start the conversation? Like what's it, what is it, what need, what does a company need to be like or have or um, have a worth of to, to be um, in the race to be sold on the New York stock exchange? Well, the, the first one, that's a really interesting question because you know, what motivates people and these are, private businesses that we had competitors and the, one of my largest competitors came to me one day and said, would you ever sell your business? And I was dumbstruck because we had been competitors in High Point, North Carolina, and he had been very successful with his father and I had been very successful with my father. And I thought it was appropriate. I thought about it and thought about it. And, um, we agreed and that we were at my home away from anybody seeing us and thinking we don't want his employees all of a sudden uh, hearing these rumors. And, and I felt the same way because these are loyal people, good people. We're all in the same neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And when I announced it, they respected my decision to sell and his decision to buy. So it worked out with people very well. A lot of the same machinery but people, again, people. Got it. I love how you always go back to people too. I, I couldn't agree more. And that's, you know, part, partly why I do the podcast. I get to meet awesome people like you both. So um, I want to now let's go back all the way to the beginning. Cause I know um, early in your life, you faced a lot of challenges. So let's, let's kind of go, let, let's go one by one. So first I know you had a leg amputation. Tell us like what happened there. Well, I was born with a, a, a leg and a foot, um, and it was a deformed foot that went outwards. It had three toes, and I went through a bunch of operations when I was very young to straighten my foot. And then as the years passed, my, my leg was six inches. It turned out to be 
six inches shorter than my other leg. So every year or two, I had to have my shoe built up some more. And so I just learned to live with this big old built up shoe. And uh, it's, it's, it came time, they said, don't amputate now, wait till you are grown, which they considered 14 years of age. So I dealt with that shoe until I was 14 years. So I, I knew that I was gonna have an amputation for a long time, most of my life. So it just came that time and had it amputated. And it's not like a serviceman having his leg blown off and he wakes up the next day in the hospital and looks and sees that, you know, it's, 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 it's gone. I knew it was coming. So I had plenty of time to adjust to it. Got it, okay. And then I know you also, I'm assuming back in school, you had like some encounters with bullies. So like what was, I guess, speak on that experience and um, maybe childhood as a whole, like how did you, how did you deal with that? <laughs> well, the first part, I remember our immediate neighborhood of, of youngsters. I mean, we all have neighborhoods and we go and play in the backyard of all our friends. And uh, back then when you had three toes, everybody is inquisitive. You know, they all want to look at your toes. And, and so, I mean, I just kind of grew up that way. And then when I actually had my um, uh, shoe, built up shoe of six inches, it got to be very noticeable and, and, and bullies did bully me. I mean, but if you really did get in a fight, I, I was pretty good with that built up shoe. So it worked to my advantage. Then you, you put a pretty good dent in somebody's head, didn't you? In the <laughs> forehead? <laughs> I, did. I did at a furniture market. This guy I hadn't seen since I kicked him in the head. Uh, he, was, he was kicking me in the head. We were going at it play guard and that uh, I saw him, oh boy, decades later. And he's walking to me and he had a dent in his head. And oh. he came up to me and he said, you see this dent? <laughs> That's it, she kicked me in the head. <laughs> Anyway, we all embraced each other, laughed about it, and just it's just part of life. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And um, now, tell me a little bit more. I've actually never heard of this before, and I might pronounce it incorrect. But uh, rheumatic fever. What what is that? Um, rheumatic fever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, rheumatic fever. I never, <laughs> I never heard. Of it uh huh. Well, that's a good thing you never heard of it before because <laughs> that means it's not around anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And it's something I had it when I was uh, eleven or twelve, and uh, it did, the only way to deal with it was to uh, just stop everything for a period of months and months, and so I was not even allowed to come down. Uh, from the second floor to the first floor of our house. Wow. And, I mean, it's, it's just how they dealt with it way back then. Mm -hmm. They had to be quarantined, really. Right, from everybody. And, and, and that's that's when the story, tell the story of Pee Wee. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm on the second floor of our house, and that's where I went out on porch, and my, uh, I, I said, I can't walk up or down, so my mother felt sorry for me. My mother, not my father. My mother got me a pistol, an automatic pistol that looked like, uh, you know, those like Roy Rogers. I mean, that's what you were watching back then. And so I was out in the porch with my uh, 22 gauge uh, revolver pistol, and it really got boring. I was looking to shoot a tree and shoot a, 
targeted to you. Uh, Loans keeper came by and he was carrying a whole bunch of bottles to go back out to and put in different fluids in it. And like, anyway, he, 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 I said, Pee Wee, hold one of those up. So he held it up and I shot the bottle. And that was a lot of fun. And he had hold it way out and I would shot several more and several more. Well, my mother came out and saw a whole bunch of glass. She didn't hear any shots she at the grocery store. Well, that put an end to that. So, but thank goodness, Pee Wee, I never hit Pee Wee, I suppose. Yeah, thank goodness for that, yes. <laughs> and you became a really, really good uh, skeet shooter too then, and got so many medals in skeet shooting. I did, I, I, people took me out to the skeet field and uh, I started shooting competitively uh, and went all over the uh, East Coast with tournaments for a period of time and all through college. And uh, one time was put on the All-American Junior uh, skeet shooting list. Uh, so, I mean, I, I just, I loved it. And, but once I got out the real world, I gave it up and went to business. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's really cool. And then I know um, you, you were also awarded some different types of awards. Um, one that was uh, first given to John F. Kennedy. Can you talk about that? Like, what did you have to do to get the award? And, and you know, what is it? Well, it's an award that, that's there. amazing too. Uh, because... Well, it's, it's, it's an award given out by Choate School, which is a private boarding school in Connecticut. Okay. And, and I went there and John Kennedy had been a graduate of Choke School. Uh -huh. So the, the year that I went there, they started giving out, they just happened to start giving out awards to different uh, graduates who had uh, uh, done different things in their life. And, that, and, and Jack Kennedy was the first award they gave. Uh, and this is when he was president and he'd gone to Choke and his, that was 1961. So years later, Lo and behold, if they didn't give me an award, and mm -hmm. I was dumbfounded because I mean, I love Choke. I'm thrilled to have gone there. I participated and I participated years since that time. So, but anyway, for me to receive that award meant a great deal to me. Got it. Especially and because all of your, uh, when you went to show, Choke, you um, certainly had some. Uh, oh, I know you don't like the word mischievous so much, but uh, you did have, you did, you were sort of mischievous when you went to show with uh, words. How can you tell that she, when she knows all the gossip? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't say that. That isn't gossip. That was like, <laughs> see, all, all the research you Well, let me tell you one of my mischievous deeds. <laughs> I became quite noticed about carrying liquor in my artificial leg. Uh -huh. He was the bootlegger. You were the bootlegger? Yeah, that bootlegger. showed. <laughs> so we all had, I'd, everybody, I mean, I'd had this liquor coming <laughs> in my leg, and then we boys over time would take sips of the liquor. <laughs> <laughs> That is awesome. <laughs> That's yeah. so cool. You're like, how, how can we, uh, let's benefit from this. <laughs> yes, yes, he was. <laughs> yeah, awesome. he had all 
all kinds of things figured out what to do with that leg. Yeah. <laughs> That's genius. I love it. Yes, that, well, you, you know, that really was. That really was. <laughs> and so, then when he was at Choate during that last year, he was uh, uh, during the Cold War, uh, he uh, was among the Russian studies and he and a group of, was it seven other young men went to uh, Russia? That is correct. Yeah. Uh, and it's very, that was, yeah. very unusual. And, that, and they, there was a, a professor at Choate who wanted to do this, and he had been born and raised in Europe. And he put it together, and I, I asked my parents, that, could I go to Russia? And that scared them. It scared everybody. <laughs> I mean, you just don't, in 1961, you don't take kids to Russia. I mean, he was a real pioneer. So we went to Russia and took classes at Moscow U and traveled all over Russia for several months. And it was, it opened your eyes what the, what the Soviet Union was. And I think of my children back to Russia so they understand it. And it was a very, very unusual back then, but it, 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 it helped a lot of people understand. And you also, there were also, it was co-ed. So there were two co-eds from Texas that went with their chaperone. And their chaperone was Jean Harris, who was uh, the uh, Jean Harris, who was known, who had made headlines because of uh, her involvement, well, her involvement uh, in the Dr. Tonauer. And Tyler, you might not be familiar with this case, um she he was the scarsdale doctor and she had she became uh well known because she went to prison for shooting him in self-defense and uh but anyway she was a dave thought she was a wonderful per dave and his wife Kay thought she was a wonderful person and kept in touch with her through her years in prison and, and thereafter. Well, before that, she became the headmistress of Madeira School, a very fine uh, ladies' uh, prep school. So, I mean, she, she and she, uh, we were told by the Russians that if we're coming to Russia, they wanted a democracy, meaning men and women. And so, by golly, we at Choate, they had to find some females because Choate is not co-ed. And they found these ladies down in Texas, and it was great. Oh, okay, I see. <laughs> um, so I, I want to ask you this too: is uh, and because it, it kind of seems like it's a theme in your life. Is how would you help someone or describe to someone how to be an effective leader? Right? You got the three businesses. You got you know the things you did as an ambassador, like everything. So it's like. I don't know. It's, it seems like there's a the theme in your life is leadership and people. So yeah, can you talk more on that? Uh, you hit it on the button. People. And one more thing: his attitude, his positive attitude of always optimistic. So hmm. go ahead, Dave. I didn't mean to interfere, but no, go you're, ahead. you're right. It's I, it, I, it's people. I've always loved people, and and I, I've been I'm fascinated with people. And I think even going off to school when I was on the train by myself, going to New York City and meeting people, uh, going and coming and here or there, I mean, by myself at 14 years old, 
So, I mean, I just I'm looking back to those times. And uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued with people. And I, and I tell my own family, you don't know who you're going to meet coming around the corner in the elevator. People are fascinating. Everybody has a story. And if you just ask, they'll tell you, you know, who are you, where are you from? Is that where you were raised and all that sort of stuff? And I love it. I don't care where you are. And it, it's, uh, people will tell you. And it's interesting, great stories. So I'm a great believer in people, as you can tell. Attitude of the people is very, very important. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I actually, I always tell people that too, even with the podcast, because when I tell people how many I've interviewed on the podcast, sometimes they're like, like how, did, how do you have time for that? Or like, how, why would you do that? And I, and I think one, like you just said, I'm fascinated by it. The stories, everybody has so many stories. And two, you never know like what's behind that person, you know, like, like what the opportunity could be just from communicating with somebody. So I, I always say, um, you know, just say hi to everybody. Why not? Like, what's the, you know, like you, um, you just never know. And that's kind of what's also fascinating is that a person has so many experiences and stories that you never know until you actually connect with them, like what's really going on. So, um, exactly. I mean, like y'all found us and how we are participating right now. And I hope yeah. uh, stories are meaningful to some of your people. It might to give them more confidence going out there and meeting somebody sitting at a desk somewhere. Who are you sitting next to? What do they do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to ask too, um, you know, I know, uh, high point was uh, you know, obviously a huge part of your life and you know now Jupiter like what what was the what made you move to Jupiter well I'm just down here during the winter and oh. good friends of ours uh, in North Carolina came down here in 1926 their grandfather and they invited us down here years ago and we came and we fell in love with it and we uh, bought a house and we were uh, down here with all our children, and uh, my son-in-law is sitting right across the table from me. He had to bring his computer and had to turn it on, and he had to figure out how in the world we get you. So he's a professor at Columbia Business School in New York. So he's 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 clever enough to understand how this works. Yeah, that's awesome, um, and I totally get it. Um, now, now, does High Point does that get that cold in the winter? Does it get cold there? Well, it's certainly not cold today. It was in the 70s today. <laughs> okay, I got you. But that's unusual. It's a, but it doesn't, it usually doesn't get real cold, but. Okay, I got so, you. But the name High Point, everybody thinks we're in the mountains of North Carolina, and we're not. We're in the, in the middle part of the state, and but people just assume High Point, and why is it High Point? And it goes back to the railroad that was built in, what is it? Mary, it was 1850 or 1860. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've actually, interestingly enough, I've actually been to High Point um, because I went to school at USC, South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then one of my, you know, my ex now, but a past girlfriend, she lived on Lake Norman in Mooresville. Yeah. <laughs> And then it, and she had a brother that I think it was High Point University that went there. So I've been to the university or college. I can't remember the exact name of it a few times. Well, okay. it's High Point University, and it has become 
quite prominent around yes. the world. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful school. I remember that um, when we uh, went, went into it. I think we just hit the cafeteria. I, th I think there was like a movie theater in the cafeteria. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's been growing. It's changed a lot even then. It's growing by leaps and bounds. <laughs> so Practically <wonderful>. every day. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to ask this uh, too, a little sidestep here. And I was kind of, you know, looking through your book and everything, and I see chapter 23 says the Dalai Lama. What the, can you tell us what, about that? <laughs> well, it's, I was on the Smithsonian board and I was asked to chair the uh, travel committee, which this group of board members from around America, uh, to find out where we can go and have a new experience in life and see something and, and how it affects, because the Smithsonian is, it is just America, but people who might come to America every now and then have some effect on Americans. And uh, I threw out this idea of the going to see the Dalai Lama. And I had heard about it from someone in San Francisco who I met in Hawaii and she had just gotten back from seeing the Dalai Lama. And I said, how in the world did you do that? And he said, well, I met her in San Francisco, met him in San Francisco. So she gave me the contact information and I asked the Smithsonian board, let's go see the Dalai Lama. So we all went to India and went all around India and, and then, then flew up into the, uh, the, the Himalayas and, um, and there he was and, and went to his, um, his home, if you call it that. And it's very modest and, and, and way up in the mountains. And we had the, uh, we chartered small little planes to fly us up there. And that, uh, and we just, uh, it's incredible how easy it was to sit there and talk to him. When we first walked in, he, he stuck his hand out. I was told how to hold my hands together and, sh and show him respect. And there's a picture in the book that does that. And he stuck out his hand. He said, "Hey, how you doing?" <laughs> we all started laughing. <laughs> That's awesome. And a member of his family came in, and, and uh, he was about at that time mid thirties or so, and had a button-down shirt, and uh, he looked awfully Western. I said, "Well, how? Tell us about how y'all." He said, "Well, I went to Georgetown, and that." Uh, so it got to be something that you just think they're up in the mountains and. Uh, they're not, I mean, they're, he's a, full, a global force, highly respected, handling it beautifully and still is. Got it. Yeah, that's an awesome story. <laughs> she puts out, put out his hand. <laughs> um, so, you know, really, la last question I want to ask you, is there anything about the book um, or, or your experiences that you'd like to share. And then after that, I, you know, I think uh, our audience, I you know I'm very intrigued, would like to know, I, the book's available, obviously it's on Amazon, I can see that. So, you know, where can they get it? What's the website and all that? But is there anything else that, from the book that you'd like to share? Well, I think you've, you've done a great job picking out the highlights. It's, it's not just the experiences I've had in a diversified field, whether it's government or whether it's uh, business or, uh, or civic things like the Smithsonian, but it just shows you if you if you participate, and and uh, even people who who take a dim view of you, sometimes those people, if you just 
put out your hand and say hello. You'll get to know them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just been my attitude in life. And that's, I mean, I, I love traveling and I, I'm down here because of friends of mine asked me to come down here and we've been down here for almost 30 years. So it's, uh, it, it enriches your life and, and it's, it's been very enjoyable. Yeah, no, you know, that's actually really big advice right there because I think a lot of times when somebody does something negative to us or is mean, you know, mean quote unquote to us, um, we just kind of write them off when in reality, chances are that person needs the most help, right? Um, probably because it's usually a reflection probably. of themselves. And also at the end of the day, again, it goes back to, and I know this is like, it kind of almost sounds weird to be like overly nice to someone who's, you know, potentially like, I don't know, punching you or something or like being really mean, but like, who knows, right? Like maybe you respond to that person and you're like, listen, this is, you know, stop what you're doing, but what's wrong with you? How can I help? And maybe, you know, six months later, you become good friends with them. You never know if you just write them off. So it, it's just a different lens to look at the world, I feel like. Exactly, exactly. Great attitude. So, um, but all right, yeah, no, this sounds good. So tell us, where can people get the book? Um, and like I said, obviously Amazon. And then also, is there a website? Yes. Uh, and anything else we should know? Yes, there is a website, and it's uh, comeonamericabook.com. And, of course, you can, as you said, you can get it at Amazon, through Amazon or wherever, uh, through wherever, you know, books are sold. Um, and uh, we, the book has won uh, five national awards, and so we're very proud of that. Oh, that's awesome. Very, very nice. Well, listen, this was really cool too to have this kind of like dynamic of both of you on. So I appreciate you both coming on the show. And yeah, thank, thanks again. Thank uh, you very thank much, you. Tyler. This has been great. We appreciate it. Mm -hmm, we do. The Authors Unite show is sponsored by AuthorsUnite.com. Your one-stop shop for becoming a profitable author and maximizing your impact. Thank you.